You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 13. Today we're asking the question, are there more accidents on Friday the 13th? Let's get started. Hi everybody, my name's David Proven and I'm here with Drew Ray and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced every week and the show notes can be found at safetyofwork.com. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety and we examine the evidence surrounding it. So Drew, what's today's question? Well, David, we were going to talk about behavioural economics today, but then I noticed it was the 13th episode, so I thought we might have a bit of fun and I'll ambush you with a bunch of different questions, mostly about significant dates. In the academic literature, dates like Friday the 13th or the full moon are called calendar effects. And the idea is that there are particular dates that are lucky or unlucky. Maybe there's some purported mechanism because of tides or movement of the planets or lunar cycles, or maybe it's just pure superstition. I think the way you sort of most commonly encounter it is the idea that emergency rooms have lots more people showing up on full moons, or that there are more accidents that happen on Friday the 13th. So that's our question for the episode. Is there any of these calendar effects real? So Drew, we sometimes in safety hear about calendar effects. Maybe we might talk about more accidents happening on a Friday because maybe workers are already thinking about the weekend or during the December, January period around Christmas, we, we hear stories about increasing incident rates. Um, but when we go to the Friday the 13th, Drew, I was, I was actually born on Friday the 13th and it was actually the same day that the US space station, the first space station Skylab crashed into Western Australia. So depending on which way you look at it, that's either one bad thing and one good thing on Friday the 13th or, or two bad things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, you stole stole the joke off me there, David. Yeah, no, I, I, I was born on the 11th of the 11th, which has no significance except that it was the day that Whitlam got sacked. And and also Remembrance Day for, uh, for the Anzacs as well. Yes, so minute of silence every time it's my birthday. <laughs> yeah, so, so rather than pick just you know, one paper as we usually do, we're going to look at quite a few papers in this episode to try to get a bit of a idea of the sort of spectrum of things that are available. So we'll start with Friday the 13th, and we'll start with a 2002 paper in the American Journal of Psychiatry. This paper looks at traffic fatalities in Finland from 1971 to 1997, and it found that for men there was no difference between Friday the 13th and other Fridays, but for women it found a big effect. So big in fact and the, this is the authors, not me, they reckon that 38% of the female traffic deaths on Friday the 13th happen because it is Friday the 13th. So your immediate reactions, David? Yeah, I'm really curious, uh, that word because. I'm really curious as to, uh, to how the researchers made that conclusion. Uh, so, so that conclusion was, it's a sort of common statistical thing to work out how much of the variability is due to a particular factor. So they're sort of saying that once you account for other factors, you know, 38% of the difference between that day and other days, the only factor that's different is the Friday the 13th. 
Um, but before we take that too seriously, the real paper I got this from is actually a 2004 paper, which is a response by authors Igor Radin and Heike Samala. And this is going to be a bit of a recurring pattern. This sceptical paper has less than a quarter of the citations of the 2002 paper. But it's called, very pointedly, Females do not have more road injury accidents on Friday the 13th. So the paper's a bit of a combination of a takedown and its own analysis. Um, it begins by pointing out a number of the features of the original article. So the first thing it says is, while supposedly about driving... The original article includes deaths in water accidents and in air accidents. It also includes passenger deaths, regardless of the gender of the driver, which was kind of interesting. It does things like it controls for weather, using the reported temperature in one particular location. But Finland's a big place, and it doesn't control for the location weather in the location of the accident. So apparently it matters whether it's raining in Helsinki, but not matters whether it's raining where the accident happens. I mean, the article excludes Good Friday, which is a problem because it's the only holiday in Finland which can occur on the 13th of the month. But the article includes the other holidays. So it's sort of general point here. It's not so much that each of these individual decisions is bad, but it just shows how many different options authors have when they do statistical analysis to include things and leave things out. Yeah, or they might not have many options at all, Drew. When I was listening to the way that you described what they included, it sounded like to me a case of where they got their data from. I know, for example, in Australia, the Australian Bureau of Statistics keeps fatality records across the general population. And and they categorize those as we categorize things. And one of those categories is generally referred to as accidental death. And it's very common for that category of fatalities to include drowning in water, air accidents, road vehicles, and a, and a number of other miscellaneous kind of situations. And so I'm assuming these authors got that category of statistics, got the individual dates, went to the Bureau of Meteorology for the country, got the weather on those dates and kind of pulled all that data together into, into their paper. Yeah, that's certainly the case with things like the gender of the driver, because the death records the gender of the person who died, not who was sitting in the driver's seat. But it's not the case for things like whether they include holidays or not, or which holidays they include in and out. That's the researcher decision. Yes, And that's a, that, that's a general rule we talk about. It's a thing called researcher degrees of freedom that there are lots and lots of choices you have to make when doing statistical analysis. And even if the choices each individually seem sensible, if you made different choices, you might get different results. And the other name for it is sometimes the garden of forking paths. You're wandering down all of these decisions and you get to the answer. Have you got there because it's the answer or have you got there because of all the individual decisions you've gone down? And the idea is that if it's a robust result, it should apply regardless of what decisions you make. If it's a shallow result, then tiny tweaks in the decisions make a difference. And I think particularly, Drew, when you're trying to rebut or, or challenge a previous research finding, then you know, it's incumbent on you as a researcher to, to the extent possible, make your research decisions consistent with the original studies that you're trying to either replicate or, or challenge. Yeah, that, that is sometimes true. It's also sometimes a risk that if they've made dodgy decisions, then just repeating those exact same dodgy decisions 
doesn't necessarily mean that you know, you're getting a more robust replication. In this new article, uh, one of the things they did is they said, okay, let's just make one simple observation, which is that if this effect is real, you know, if it really is the case that females are at higher risk, and the explanation given in the original article was sort of maybe females have more stress and they're more likely to fear Friday the 13th and therefore that they drive more badly. It's kind of dodgy, but the new article said, well, okay, let's just accept that that's a possibility. If that's the case, then it ought to apply to injuries too. If, if women are really getting into more accidents, then it shouldn't just be the fatalities that are going up. So the article is a lot more careful and consistent how it does the statistics. And it checks for both fatalities and for injuries. And once you do the study carefully, it finds no difference at all between Friday the 13th and other Fridays. So do we conclude then, Drew, that there are not more accidents on Friday the 13th than, than other days or other Fridays from these, uh, these research papers? So that's a pretty consistent finding, is there are isolated papers out there that claim various Friday the 13th effects. But it's pretty much always the case that each of those isolated papers has some sort of follow-up that points out the mistakes in it. And that the sort of more rigorous the study, uh, the more the effect just goes away. So our listeners and, and safety practitioners don't have to be particularly fearful of what might occur in their organisations on Friday the 13th as they would, as they would maybe any other day. So, so what about the full moon effect then? Do you wanna, should we go on and talk about that? Yeah, the full moon is particularly fun. Because even people who believe that the moon is a big problem totally disagree about what the effect actually is. And you get a lot of sort of authors hedging their bets, like saying that they don't really believe, but they do believe. Um, so they, they say things like, well, it's not us. It's lots of other people believe that the full moon causes weird human behavior. And we're not going to say whether that's true or not. What we're going to say is that because lots of people believe it, maybe that belief changes the way people behave and believing in the full moon causes people to behave weirdly like a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. So just in case, let's check it out. And so there's lots of papers like that, that the purported mechanism is the full moon has an effect because people believe the full moon has an effect. And you then get the really weird ones that say, oh, there's tidal effects or gravity effects or magnetism or magic. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where the full moon is actually something that's that's physical. Uh, so, so there is the potential for those sorts of claims to be made that there's actually different in environmental conditions in, uh, in different phases of, of the lunar cycle that may actually impact behaviour or, or environmental conditions where, where work or activities are occurring. Well, hold that thought, David, because we're going to encounter one actual genuine effect that the moon definitely has on safety. But before we get into the genuine stuff, a lot of statistical research has this sort of general problem that it claims to be impartially checking stuff out. So the authors claim that they don't believe or not believe in the original effect. They're just doing statistical analysis. And the trouble with that is that even good statistics can produce false positives. So if lots and lots of people supposedly impartially check out nonsense, some of them just by odds, by rolling the dice, are going to find that it's statistically true. And so to get around that, David, how would you sort of work things to make sure that you weren't just taking your statistical luck? Well, I think in one of the other episodes, we talked about uh, spurious correlations. And, and if you're 
look at enough variables over enough time in enough different situations, then you're going to find relationships. But I think what you're asking, Drew, is is whether those relationships are actually the result of a phenomena, an underlying phenomena, or or whether or not it's just like you said, just just luck. But the first thing you need to know is to check if there's an effect at all. So there's a lot of different statistical methods and techniques to actually try to examine the the size of the technique and the size of the effect, sorry, and how the effect matches the the situation that you are you are studying. So you'd want to understand if there is actually an effect at all and how big that effect is. And I think what we've said in a number of episodes is um, the bigger your study and the bigger the groups involved and the, and the bigger the, the data set, you would expect that effect to get bigger and more clear the larger the study. So, yes. so if the effect starts to get away and disappear in those more rigorous studies, that's definitely time not to believe. The other one is that you've got to have at least one possible mechanism and that mechanism gives you extra things that you can check. So if you think that the full moon effect works that because people believe in the full moon, then you would expect people who believe in the full moon being a problem to have more accidents. If you think that the full moon has an effect because it's a bright, scary light, then you wouldn't expect that effect to happen on cloudy nights. And so we can use things like that to just put in that extra level of check that the mechanism is actually happening. Yeah, that's a good point. A uh, good point, Drew. So how how would you go about how would you go about doing that? So you add in those extra factors as part of the regression analysis, and you expect the things that you claim to matter to matter, and you expect the things that you claim not to matter to not matter. So you know a real effect should change according to your mechanism getting bigger. And it shouldn't change according to the things that you think are irrelevant. If you think that the effect is because of brightness, then when it gets brighter, even if it's not a full moon, that should still have a partial effect. If you think it's because the full moon causes bad weather, then you should expect the effect to exist in bad weather regardless of whether it's caused by the full moon or not. Um, But anyway, let's look at a particular paper. Fun title, Much Ado About the Full Moon, A Meta-Analysis of Lunar Lunacy Research. The authors are James Raton and I.W. Kelly. I couldn't unfortunately find out what I.W. stands for. Raton's an interesting author because he publishes mainly about how environment affects behaviour. So most of this is sensible, plausible things. He looks like, does weather make antisocial behaviour better or worse? Uh, What effect does global warming have on crime rates? How does how people commute affect what their mood is like during the workday? That sort of thing where there is a plausible effect. And as best I can tell, he and Kelly seem to use lunar research, not because they believe in it, but because it's a good way of pointing out common statistical makes that people, mistakes that people make in this other more reputable research. So in this paper, they look at the history of the academic debate about full moon effects and all of the different ways people think the moon might change behaviour. Could be... So there's a genuine effect that lunar cycles do affect the weather. There's a genuine effect that the amount of light at night changes through the lunar cycle. There's a possible effect that the way people sleep and their circadian rhythms change through the month. There are possible psychological effects from the amount of light that people get. That one's not really plausible given the small amount of light that's off the full moon. And then there's this weird semi-magical stuff like the fact that body uh, water in our body works like the tides or that there are magnetic effects from the moon that just aren't scientifically plausible but might have an effect because people believe in them and that changes their behavior so in a previous episode drew we've talked about meta-analysis so so what the authors did here is they just pulled out 
all of the research on uh, on Luna and and its impact on on behaviour, and they pulled these different possible, I suppose, mechanisms out of all of that research. And so then, what was what did they do next? So they're not combining the studies like you might in a meta-analysis. They're really just doing a a critical systematic literature review, looking at the methods in the studies. And they actually went to the extent of like redoing a lot of the calculations to check if they were done properly. Because the first thing they found was lots of really simple computational errors. Um, They checked the graphs, they checked the statistics, and people just made blatant mistakes. The next thing they found was lots of effects that they called fickle. And what they mean by fickle is they mean that even amongst the studies that find an effect, the size, the direction, and the important factors keep changing. Sometimes the weather seems to matter, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the full moon seems to cause more positive behaviours, sometimes it causes more negative behaviours. Sometimes it's the full moon, sometimes it's the new moon, sometimes it's the day before and after, sometimes it's only just that particular day. So the effect keeps swinging around and being different no matter when different people look at it. And then the other thing they found was what we already talked about, which was lots of researcher degrees of freedom. People making different statistical choices with no real justification why different authors had made different choices. So this is where they did something a bit interesting, which is they went and got hold of much of the original data as they could. They wrote away to the authors and said, basically, can we have your Excel spreadsheets, please? And then they did every study again using the same choices to see whether the results sort of held up consistently. And so that process, Drew, is that is that common in research? I mean, I... I mean, in my experience, I haven't heard of it too much of actually going and seeking out the the data. I mean, it's it's becoming increasingly common now for for researchers to publish their their raw data alongside their publications, so that other authors can actually make their own assessment of the of the papers before incorporating it in their own research or maybe including it in this type of study. But uh, you don't see too many published papers where um, where the reanalysis has been done by the by the new authors. Yeah, it is increasingly common for people to publish their data. And most often the criticisms don't come out in new papers. They come out in letters or in blogs or in other forms of peer review. So this is rare to, rather than just criticise the calculations, actually redo the analysis. So that that's kind of interesting. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that there is actually some evidence for some statistically significant relationships. So having redone the analysis, they said, look, some of these studies aren't mistakes. The studies, at least as individual studies, do find an effect. But they said this isn't enough to believe that the effect is real. So the first reason is that for every study that finds an effect, there's a similar study that finds the opposite or none at all. So there's not replicability. Secondly, there's not really statistical significance. The idea is supposed to be that for a real effect, the evidence should be strong enough to make you throw away the idea that there's no effect. And in this case, the evidence is really just, uh, there, there might be something there, but we can't reject the idea that there's nothing there. And the third one they call predictability. I'd actually call this effect size. This is the problem that even if there is an effect, it's so small that it doesn't really change people's behaviour. They said it's probably you can't explain more than 1% of any variation from day to day in behaviour. So that's too small that you'd actually do anything about a full moon effect. You wouldn't even put on an extra nurse in your ER based on a 1% change. 
So it's one of those areas where even if the effect is statistically significant and even if you can make a claim, if it's not really that useful to inform real life decisions that people make, then, then perhaps you know you haven't really found something something useful, even though you might have found something that exists. Exactly. Let me just throw in a couple of extra quick papers that they didn't cover in this study that get to what you were saying before, David. So the first one isn't about weird effects. It says motorcycle accidents go up during the full moon because motorcyclists get distracted by this big bright object in the sky. What do you think of that one? Well, it's a it's a strange conclusion. I mean, I mean, it's one of those things where you could probably go, oh, yeah, maybe under certain situations. But the thing that surprised me when you pulled out this paper was that it was in the British Medical Journal. That's one, if not, well, it is, is one of the most reputable journals in any scientific field. So that, that really spiked my interest much more. Yeah, I have to admit that I spent a good 45 minutes reading through the paper thinking, oh, maybe this is something genuine. Yeah. And then I noticed it was published in their Christmas edition, which I should have noticed to start with. And this has genuinely caught doctors out before, so I'm not too embarrassed about it. But they've got into a bit of a habit in recent years in the BMJ of having a Christmas edition full of weird joke papers. And they all look like normal papers. And the edition looks like a normal edition. Uh, But they're not really intended to be taken seriously. So yeah, I thought I had something there, but th- then the date, it's, it's you know, Christmas edition is kind of their equivalent of April Fool's. Another one, um, and this one, you can tell it's reputable, I think by the ultra boring and specific name of the journal. This is the Journal of the Illuminating Engineering Society of North America. The study is called Moon Phases and Nighttime Road Crashes Involving Pedestrians. It's a well-conducted study. It's pretty robust to statistical effects and researcher degrees of freedom. And it points out what I guess probably was going to be fairly obvious to start with, which is that on dark nights, pedestrians are more likely to get hit by cars. So there you have it. There is a full moon effect. It's not your full moon is dangerous. It's full moon. You can see the pedestrians. So there you go. So that is actually an effect in the different direction, which means the full moon might actually be a bit safer to be in and around the road environment rather than uh, other times in the lunar cycle. Yeah. There are actually a few papers that claim positive lunar effects. There seems to be a weird trend about papers about cooperating behaviours, that people cooperate more on full moons, but that, that's not really any more reputable than the lunar lunacy stuff. So this has been a bit of fun, but I think there are some real practical uh, takeaways we can get from this. And this is why I wanted to go into it. Because one of the things that we do on the podcast is we tend to pick out one particular paper to talk about. And that's the risk with one paper, is that you can find one paper for some really, really strange things. So David, I wonder if you might want to say a bit on you, sort of how we pick our papers and sort of practical takeaways people can have on reading the literature. Yeah, because um, this is one where I think I think we you know, we're, we're somewhere in the middle. We, we do often talk about one paper or, or two papers and, and what we've got to do is make a judgment through our own understanding of the literature. If it's in an area of the literature that we're more familiar with, or we do a bit of extra reading just to see how, how consistent that individual research paper is with, uh, with the rest of the field. We probably don't do that as much as we'd like to, because we're trying to get an episode out every week, but we do make, uh, judgments or we try to share with each other what degrees of freedom and what choices we've made like we've talked about in this episode for how we've arrived at whether we're going to talk about a particular paper and what we're what we're going to say with it 
say about it. So the main the main thing is just to try to present to our listeners individual papers that are to the best extent we can representative of the overall conclusions in a particular area. That's something we'd encourage for you to is to don't take conclusions from single papers, but see if you can get a sense of how representative that paper is of the sort of field of stuff that's published on that issue. You know, for lots of ideas, there's always a paper that supports it, but it's really about the balance of evidence. And I think that's also the case practically in your organisation. If you're, if you're trying to do something across the organisation and and you think you're getting a really good outcome in one area and then you're doing the same thing in a different area and you're getting a very different outcome, you know, that's that's not that different to reading two separate research papers that have looked at researching the same thing but found very different things. And that should really spark your curiosity as to why something isn't working everywhere in your organisation. Yeah, I think there's a lesson for us all in just the prevalence of ideas like the fact that emergency rooms have more people turn up to them on full moon nights. You'll get people who work in emergency rooms who tell you that that is absolutely true. You'll get papers that tell you that it's absolutely true. And I can tell you pretty confidently from people who have studied this really rigorously, it is not true. And so the point there is that it's really easy from the evidence we have in front of our own eyes to come to almost a sort of magical thinking that we're doing something, it seems to work for us. If we actually stop and think about it, there's no plausible mechanism that it should be working, but it's worked for us in the past and where it's hard to give it up. So these ideas through somewhat ritualistic or very common across particular professions, like you said, even in the healthcare sector, there's there's people who legitimate or generally believe that to be the case about emergency rooms and Friday the 13th. In safety, there's a whole lot of safety prof- um, practitioners that believe a lot of things too. Do you want to talk about what some of those that might fit into the same category? Uh, sure. So, so one of the sort of prevailing ideas that was around in the scientific literature for a long time was the idea of accident proneness that there are some people who seem to get hurt more often. And you can definitely still find people who believe that today about particular people. We're pretty sure that accident proneness is really a symptom of confirmation bias or statistical artefacts. It's not that you can do something useful by finding who those people are and singling them out. What I actually wanted to do, David, was throw that back on you and say, so what superstitions do you believe in? In relation to safety, Drew? Yeah, in relation to safety or, I mean, I think we've all got superstitions that we stick to even Um, though we sort of probably shouldn't. I'm a little bit uh, obsessive compulsive, so um, I'd be very worried about my day if a particular thing was that I wanted to finish was unfinished. So I suppose I've got some superstitions in in a sense of uh, just normal day-to-day tasks like getting emails done and things like that where um, I get quite anxious and quite distracted if I if I haven't been able to finish something off. So I don't know if that counts, but that's um, that's about as close as I can think of something off the top of my head. I'm not, I'm not afraid of black cats. I'm not afraid of walking underneath a ladder. I'm afraid of being uh, on top of a ladder a couple of stories up without fall protection, but uh, that'd be about it. Yeah, that, that, that's less of a superstition than good advice, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah for, for me, it's you. I, I tend to anthropomorphize computers and electronic devices. I get really annoyed when people are swearing at a piece of technology, not because I think it's pointless, but because I think that you should be polite to computers. And if you're going to make threats, don't swear at them, make a very, very credible, specific threat. 
So, you know, I, I say thank you to my Alexa. And when my computer's not working, I describe in great detail uh, what I'm going to do to it and what it's going to be replaced with. I did read quite a long debate on uh, whether or not you should say please and thank you to Siri when you're um, asking for help out of your device. Yeah, well, that, that, that's definitely something that I'm in the habit of, even with my devices that don't talk back. There you go. Yeah, so, so final serious takeaway, I think, is that statistics behind every statistical effect there is some sort of mechanism and we really should seek that mechanism out. That's what statistics are great for, is they're good for indicating that there might be something there. But we've got to go the step further and think, you know, what is that something and go looking for it. So when we say things like, you know, subcontractors are at higher risk, that's not useful to us until we think about what the mechanism is. Because if we think subcontractors are at higher risk because they're being given more dangerous work, that's a very different problem to they're at higher risk because they're taking greater risks or because they're not being as well protected. The statistical claim tells us there might be something there, but it's the mechanism that tells us what would be a good solution to this problem. Yeah, so I think in getting even closer to uh, to the topics that we've talked about today, Drew, if, if, if you are in your organisation and, and there's this common discussion about leading into Christmas at the end of the year in December that we have more accidents or work is less safe, you really need to put your money where your mouth is, if you like, and, and claim some kind of mechanism there because workers are distracted or because um, there's extra productivity pressure to, to finish things off. And then don't wait for the accidents to happen. Go and see if those actually mechanisms are, are existing. Is there more pressure? Are people more distracted? And, and measure and test those things rather than just sit back and see the relationship after it's already occurred. Yeah. And I think from the evidence in this podcast, looking at mechanisms, if you don't believe us and you think that there really is a full moon effect, the most plausible thing is that it's something to do with lights. So turn the lights on and you'll probably deal with the problem. Very good. And I think in, in relation to the, the positive finding that you did, did find there, Drew, with, with pedestrians being more able to be seen during a full moon by drivers, then there's also a whole lot of research which we haven't had to pull out today about uh, pedestrians wearing high visibility clothing being less likely to be hit as well. So if you're a pedestrian or a cyclist, that's um, that's a good thing as well. So we'd like to finish each episode with invitations to our listeners. We'd love to hear from you about what are your best examples of magical thinking in safety. You, What do you think are things that are superstitions? Or what are the things that you've heard or wondered about that you're not sure whether they are or aren't superstitions and you'd like us to check them out? I certainly found looking into this fun and I'd love to be given a couple more similar things to have a look at. And we have played around a little bit with safety moments in the past. So if um, anyone wants to start talking about safety moments and uh, as far as rituals and magical thinking concerned, then uh, we're happy to take that on as well. But that's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes to feedback at safetyofwork.com. 